0: If you have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23. Before we hear Jeremiah 23 preached, let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to bless the reading and the preaching of the word. Father, we come before you. We are thankful, O God, that you have given us Jeremiah's prophecy There's been some difficult things in the book of Jeremiah. There's also been some very hopeful things in the book of Jeremiah. And Father, we are thankful for the sermon we heard this morning that really touched on Jeremiah 23. We don't know why, in your providence, sometimes that the same sermon is often preached twice. But that tells me that people need to know that you are the good shepherd. People need to know that you love them. People need to know that you want to shepherd them. And people need to know that you will take them home. So, Father, tonight we pray that people would be comforted. Please change someone's heart. We pray they do not see me, O God, but they see your word. And they see your son, Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jeremiah. 23, verses 1-8. through Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel, out of the north country, and out of all the countries where he had driven them. Then they will dwell in their own land. And thus since the reading the very words of God. George Orwell published an article, 1945, contemplating living in a world where atomic weapons would be used. He wrote of a world where two countries live when they have their fingers on the button ready to press and at any time their countries will be annihilated. Since says it was a great standoff. It was the first time we saw the word Cold War actually used. Of course, the papers picked up that Orwellian thought. We've been hearing about the Cold War for years. Part of the Cold War was we did not know if the Soviet Union would use their nuclear weapons on America. The Soviet Union did not know if America would actually use their nuclear weapons on them. People lived in fear. It was a perilous time. There was a president named John F. Kennedy, of course, on October 22, 1963, He was speaking to the National Academy of Sciences. Many of these men worked on nuclear weapons. And he says that scientific discovery has been a blessing, but there's also been some cursings. Mankind has the power not only to create, but also to annihilate. And has done a pretty good job of it. And he says that we're going through Major trials and testing. People did not know if the world would even exist in the future. But he says, I look and I see, and I believe that your future can be bright. Because I believe differently. When you read Jeremiah chapter 23, 1 through 8, Jeremiah is looking at how terrible the shepherds are. He's understanding that Babylon's going to come and completely destroy their temple, destroy their land, and take them into exile. But he looks and he says, you know what? I think your future can be bright. It's going to get better. And if you're taking notes, you're going to see four things. We're going to see bad shepherds, good shepherds. Then we're going to look at the Good shepherd, kind of like the Ohio State. you got to put the good shepherd. And the fourth thing we're going to see is faith in the good shepherd. Bad shepherds, good shepherds, the good shepherd, and faith in the good shepherd. As we look at these bad shepherds, I don't know if you've ever read a story about sheep before. In 2005, there was these sheep herders in Turkey. And you can go online, you can read it. There's all over the newspapers in 2005 and they had 1,500 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. It took a couple shepherds to deal with those sheep. And they got a little hungry. So they decided that they were going to eat some breakfast. And just for a moment, they said, let's just take some time. The sheep will be fine. We'll sit here and eat our breakfast. Well, one of the sheep started looking over the edge of the cliff. and he thought, that looks good. And then he jumps over the cliff. Well, you know what the other sheep did. He said, he did it, I'll do it. He jumped over the cliff. Next thing you know, they're eating their breakfast and all 1,500 sheep had jumped over the cliff. 450 of them died. The rest of them had like this little wool pillowcase to land on. But we laugh. Sheep fall over the edge and these shepherds only took a moment, just a moment to eat some breakfast. Breakfast. But they had one job. And their one job was flock welfare. They had to keep the welfare of the sheep. See, sheep like to wander. They like to go into other fields. And what do they do? They'll eat poisonous plants. They fall off cliffs. Some even fall in lakes and drown. They like to go off on their own. And the next thing you know, the apex predator, the wolf, will go and eat them. Foxes and coyotes like to eat the little one. The shepherd is supposed to Protect and feed the sheep. That's their responsibility. That was the shepherds that were called to lead Judah. Every single king was called to lead these sheep. He was called to protect them and feed them, to create laws to make sure that they loved the Lord and were able to be provided for. But instead, they weren't just lackadaisical they actually led them into danger. It's not like the shepherds in Turkey who were eating breakfast and they fell off the edge. No. The shepherds in Judah were actually leading the people off the edge. They were pushing them over. They were saying, come follow me off the ledge. This is why we see chapter 23, verse 1, we see Jeremiah say, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Whoa! one translator said, a better translation is doomed. You are doomed. God is going to destroy you. And you know what Jesus says about people who mess with his sheep? We forget that Jesus isn't always meek and mild. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if anyone causes one of these little ones, my little sheep to stumble... Those who believe in me, it would be better for them to have a large millstone, that's a large rock, hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus does not like when people mess with his sheep. He doesn't like people causing his sheep to be scattered. And this is exactly what the king and the advisors and the religious leaders were doing in Judah. They were scattering the sheep. They were saying, No, you know what? Just go. Get out of here. It's okay. Leave the protection of the Almighty. And in verse 2, Therefore thus says the Lord to these bad shepherds, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deed declares the Lord. Oh, you have abdicated your responsibility? God says, guess what? I won't abdicate mine. (laughs) You won't drive the wolves out? I'll drive them out. See, God is not going to abdicate His responsibility to be the God of the universe. He will judge evil. He will drive out the wolves. God is holy. He will do what is right. You know he also tells that to our leaders today. He tells that to all of us, people who call evil good and good evil. This is a woe to you, doomed you will be if you think you too can vote for laws and create laws calling evil good and good evil. God is serious about his holiness and God is serious about warning bad shepherds who lead their people and to the scattering paths but God sends us good shepherds see the worst thing for a sheep is to be out on their own away from the flock that's when the wolves really get hungry and as you know we are prone to wander but see there's security in numbers my wife likes to float rivers. We have floated a river in Missouri. We have floated a river in California. And last year, she says, Travis, I want to float a river in Florida. And we floated a river in Florida, and it was incredible, right around the Gainesville area. And if you know anything about Gainesville, they're famous for something. They have a football team there. They're famous for something. But we were floating on this river. They're called the Santa Fe River, and it flows into these springs. It's incredible. They're sometimes... 30, 40 feet deep, and you can see the bottom. They're crystal clear. But to get to those springs, you have to float down this really, really dark river This warm. And I thought to myself, there's a big lizard somewhere around here. <laughs> and I felt a little eerie when it was just her and I floating all by ourselves. And she'll tell you, I was like, hey, maybe we should get near that crowd because <laughs> there's security in numbers felt a little more safe. I don't know if you were safe, but you felt a little more secure in those numbers. And what God is doing here is he is telling us that he is gathering his people because when they're together, there's safety. There's safety in there. This is, you know, this is the reason church is so important. Have you heard people say, you know, what, I, don't, I don't need church to be a Christian. You may not but you don't want to be that wandering sheep because the wolves will get you. The wolves will get you. See, King Jehoiach, Eliakim, Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, they did not understand their job was to gather and to protect. Look at verse 3. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. God says, listen, I will raise up shepherds, and I will bring them back to the fold. I will bring them back where they have been spread. You see that he has this relentless passion to bring back his sheep. Have you noticed that through the New Testament? That God has this relentless passion to make sure that his sheep don't go astray and he wants to bring them back. Next week we'll even hear that there are sheep that are not in the pen and they should be. And the good shepherd is going to go out and he's going to get them with this relentless passion and bring them back. I was reading this about how God said that he's going to get them Get shepherds, and he's going to gather his people and bring them back. It made me think of the relentless passion of God. As you know, I I like to listen to Rich Mullins. I like him very much. He died in 1997. He was not a musician, a Christian musician that cared about playing in the biggest venues. He actually liked playing in small churches, he preferred it. Um, He played in all types of churches. Um, He gave most of his money away. He was a really weird dude, but you know what? He wrote good music. And they asked him on a radio show, are you a Calvinist? He goes, you know, I go to churches that are all types of different things. He goes, I'm in line with Augustine and I'm in line with Calvin, but I'm not an Augustinian nor a Calvinist. But yet he writes songs about grace that is greater than our sins. And he wrote this one song about the passion that the shepherd has for a sheep called the love of God. And he talks about, even when his own heart isn't seeking the right things, it's as if God himself doesn't let him get off the rails. And he calls it the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. Isn't that interesting? The reckless raging fury they call the love of God. That he'll do everything to find me. I don't know what Calvinism is to you, but I like this. That's what it says to me. He brings you back to green pastures. He brings you back to where there's protection. He brings you back to the fold in this relentless passion. He's going to do it. As a matter of fact, look at verse 4. I will set up shepherds over them, Good men. He did this with what? Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, these godly men that led these people into green pastures. They were good, godly men who taught them truth. He says, I will set up good shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. How many is he going to lose? Not one. Not one. When the blood of Jesus was spilt, it was spilt for all those that the Father had given the Son, and He loses not one. If He paid the price for your soul, if His blood was shed beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will not be lost you will be in heaven forever. He doesn't lose. He is very good at saving people. He is the savior of all saviors. He doesn't lose one. Sometimes he even leaves the 99 to go find the one because he's not going to lose one. And one of the ways he does this is he gives us good shepherds. At this church, you have good shepherds. I just don't mean the family. They're good too, but the shepherds. Elders, David, you're going to be a shepherd. You've got a goal. You've you got a job. You've got sheep welfare. Feed the sheep and protect them from wolves. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. And maybe you're not in a place where you've found a home. God wants you to be a part of a church body he wants you to have elders he wants you to have shepherds he doesn't want you floundering around going to other places he wants you to find somewhere where you could be submitted to shepherds and that you could be loved and be a part of a body we've seen bad shepherds we've seen good shepherds and I know all of you are waiting for me to get to the good shepherd you're like I see it in here yes you see it verse 5 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Have you ever noticed in the Old Testament, he's always telling people to wait? It seems like a quarter of the Psalms, not half, but the quarter of the Psalms, he's waiting. Ugh. When is redemption coming? When is help coming? Seems like a major theme of the Old Testament is waiting. Waiting. Waiting on this righteous branch. Waiting on the Redeemer to come and crush the head of the serpent. Let's just be honest, not much has changed. We're kind of in a waiting period too, aren't we? For all wrongs to be made right, the king of kings to return. But he said, behold, the days are coming. God said, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous Branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Righteous branch, this, this word branch really means shoot. Really, 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 really small, little tiny branch, a little shoot that's coming off the tree. Very, very, you could say, vulnerable. Anything can come and just... A little bird can can smash it. He says this this righteous branch, this shoot will will raise up from David. And have you noticed that Matthew and Luke and their gospels went through a lot to try to show you that Jesus came from the lineage of Judah. That he came from King David. From the loins of King David. I believe Matthew traced the lineage of Of Joseph, all the way back to Solomon. And I believe Luke traced the lineage all the way back to Nathan, son of David. Joseph and Mary are distant cousins, they're both from the line of Judah. But they had to show that to you because they wanted to show you that that Jesus was that shoot that came from David. And as we heard this morning, David knows a lot about shepherding because remember, he was the shepherd boy. He was the one that wrote the shepherd's psalm that was written to the actual shoot. When you read through the shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not run. Written to the shoot of David. Written to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Shoots need protection and care. Have you ever thought about how much Satan tried to destroy the shoot before it was even grown? It seems that Satan was always trying to kill young Israelite men. We see it, of course, in the days of Egypt. We see it in the days of Herod. We've seen it thrown in there in the book of Esther. It seems that Satan does not want this shoot born. He wants to kill the Messiah before he's born. But the truth is, Nothing would stop the plans of God. He would be born. Jesus would be the king that deals wisely, executing justice and righteousness in the land. Everything that every king was supposed to represent, Jesus comes and represents everything that the law of God said. He's the one that does deal wisely and executes justice. But look what else he does in verse 6. In his days... Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called The Lord is our righteousness. See, it was sin that got them in trouble, and it's righteousness that will get them out of trouble. The Lord will be their righteousness, they are saved by righteousness. You know, it's fascinating to me that you have people that will write things like this. I'm not going to say their name. It says, it's a straightforward category mistake to suppose that Jesus obeyed the law and attained righteousness which can be reckoned to those who believe. I laugh in their face. I don't care how unacademic it makes me sound. I'm reading Jeremiah 23 and before the word imputation even comes up in someone's mind, We see the Lord is our righteousness. That there is a foreign righteousness that is going to come and rescue people. We know that Christ is our righteousness. He is the one that does what we cannot do. Proverbs 17. Maybe they need to read the Proverbs more. Proverbs 17.15 He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord we understand that if someone's wicked we don't we don't give them treats If our dogs right even they're wicked we don't give them treats and when they're good we don't beat them we don't do that with our kids we don't do it with anything he doesn't just bless us because we're wicked he blesses us because he makes us righteous he makes us righteous the righteousness of Christ counts for us not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but we are found in Him with the righteousness that comes from Christ in faith. And this shoot, this righteous branch, is going to be called the Lord our righteousness. He is our righteousness. We are not righteous apart from this branch, from this shoot. And God sends His Son to live that righteous life. That's what the good shepherd does. He not only shepherds us, but he lives the life that we cannot live. He creates us spotless and blameless before a holy and a righteous God. And he continues to protect us and keep us in the fold. Which brings us to the faith in the shepherd. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming... More eschatological language here. Waiting, waiting, waiting. If you're a Christian and you want everything right now, that's not the way it works. It didn't work for people in the old covenant. It doesn't work for us in the new covenant. Some of you may not see perfect justice until Jesus Christ returns. But we wait, and we know it's coming. We know the Lord is going to do His work. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where He had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Before 586 B.C., when the temple that Solomon had built, when that was destroyed beforehand, people would say, have you ever heard about the story of the Exodus? What an incredible story. The plagues, right? the, the sea parting, they're walking through. Moses, who can't even speak properly, says, let my people go. What an incredible story. God has to harden Pharaoh's heart. Or he would have let him go. That's my opinion. He'd have let him go and wouldn't have that story, would we? Oh, no. He hardened his heart. So oh, no. You're going to get mad. You're going to get angry. And guess what? Watch my glory take place. People talked about that story, the Exodus story. And he says, Now, what I'm going to be famous for is that when all you were scattered, all abroad, I'm going to raise up a servant like Cyrus and out Xerxes, and guess what? You're going to come back to the land, and people are going, how on earth did you get back to the land? Weren't you scattered? Weren't you out everywhere? Oh so, no, you're going to come back to the land. This is why we call some, some books of the Bible the post-exilic books, because they were in exile. We see it here. He said, you'll be gone. You'll be scattered all over the place. But I'm going to bring you back into the land. Post-exilic books, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then later Esther and First and Second Chronicles. But you see this scattering, and I'm bringing you back. And he sends them leaders, and, he, and the leaders teach them what it's like to fear God. They find the book of the law. They read the book of the law. Sends them Haggai and he reminds them, hey, listen here, you know, you got to build the temple, right? But see, God is teaching them faith. You have to understand when they build the temple, when they come back, it will not look like Solomon's temple. I like to say in my language, it looks like a trailer park compared to Solomon's temple. You know, there's no Ark of the Covenant. There's no literal presence of God. And God has a way of weaning His people off His literal presence for you to have faith. The literal presence of God will not come back into that land till Jesus Christ steps foot in that second temple. He's preparing them to have faith. Many of them have lived hearing the stories of the Shekinah glory and the literal presence of God. He's like, no, you need to have faith. You have the books. You have the revelation that you need. You have faith. You know, that's what the majority of the Christian life is. People say, I'm just going to wait on a miracle. you'll you'll be waiting the rest of your life. (laughs) You know, the miracles you got? Jesus made it really clear. You want a miracle? Remember the big fish that swallowed a man? That was a miracle. That's what you get. Those are the miracles we get. We've seen them there in Revelation. The Revelation we have before you is a miracle that God has preserved it for all these years. It is what it is. We see the word of God. He's weaning them off His literal presence to have faith. And now He says, when I scatter you back, when I bring you back from being scattered, I'm bringing you back to this land because I did make a promise to Abraham in this land. But eventually... From here, the gospel will go forth. Isn't it great? Do you see the pattern of God? I'm going to bring them back here and then I'm going to scatter the gospel all throughout the ends of the earth. As we close, you may be thinking to yourself, we're kind of in a cold war now, aren't we? With the kingdom of darkness. I mean, you know they can attack you, but you know, they don't have missiles. It's kind of a weird place, right? Because there's a real kingdom of darkness, but we're in the kingdom of light. We're in the here and now. And we really can't see the other world. And It's kind of a cold war in my mind. But then I remember that Jesus has already crushed the head of the serpent, and I get real happy. The battle's already won. The victory's already won. And look at what they say in the last part of verse 8. Then they shall dwell in their own land. You could imagine the Jews praying, God, can we just go home? They just want to be home. And that is what we should be praying. Can we just go home? God has a good way of getting us home. He has a good way of helping us to, re- to think about home, doesn't he? The moment I learned something, it revolutionized my life. The moment I realized that if I didn't have trials and tribulations on this earth, I might just want to live here forever. I think I would. I'm that wicked. And God reminds me often this isn't your home. And I sometimes feel like Judah, scattered. I just want to go home. And Jesus sent his son to let you know he's the good shepherd. He'll get you home. He'll make sure of that. He'll make sure he takes you home. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.